Welcome to the Good People Podcast, where each episode we explore what it means to be good by talking to everyday heroes, philanthropists, altruists, and do-gooders. I'm Kelsey Timmerman, the author of the Where Am I series, Where Am I Wearing, Where Am I Eating, Where Am I Giving, and I'm currently working on a book about regenerative agriculture that will be published by Patagonia Books sometime in the future. Um, I have traveling to do, and there's a pandemic, so who knows. Anyhow, um, on Good People, we talk to people who give a damn. So there's a whole lot of suck happening right now in the world. People sick and dying of COVID-19. The economic impact of shutting down the global economy. The existential threat of a virus disrupting our lives is here, and it's not going well. So yeah, super cheery times. Like, it's enough to make good people throw up their hands and spend more time binge watching Netflix. But there's hope. And one of the stories of the last 12 months that has given me the most hope that people can work together and tackle big problems is a story from my hometown, Muncie, Indiana. In the summer of 2019, a violinist stood up in a city council meeting and expressed concern over a factory that was coming to town. A local reporter wrote a story about the meeting. That story was passed around to concerned citizens who started asking questions. And a few weeks later, more than 1,000 people showed up at the courthouse protesting the Wales Sustainable Products Factory, a factory that would likely be the number one polluter of airborne mercury in the nation, among other things. So ultimately, the billion-dollar corporation left town. On this episode of Good People, I chat with Josh Arthur, a local pastor, and Brian Preston, a county employee. They were both in on the action early, so I had the pleasure of working alongside Josh and Brian after my friend Dave Ring pulled me into one of the many groups across our community that sprung up to fight the factory. So this is going to be a two-part episode, and on this one, we discussed the build-up to the 1,000-person protests and what happened at the city council meeting that made it like a scene out of a movie. It was, it was nuts. So the factory is now trying to locate in Cass County near Logansport, Indiana. The community there is mobilizing against the factory during a pandemic, so it's kind of nuts for them. And So if you are from Cass County, so please visit the show notes. KelseyTimmerman.com, that's K-E-L-S-E-Y-T-I-M-M-E-R-M-A-N.com slash W-S-P for a video the, the Muncie community made sharing facts about the factory. So we also put together a nine-page fact sheet with links to stories and studies. And um, I, I want to be clear here, like I, I didn't put together the fact sheet, um, uh, so that, that wasn't me. It was a real community effort on so much of this. Um, Josh was instrumental in organizing the, the video that is there. I helped get that video online. So a bunch of people played a lot of small parts to fight this factory. So if you're in Cass County, like, please keep up the fight. You are fighting for us all. This factory shouldn't be anywhere. So even if you aren't from Muncie or Cass County, I think these two episodes will offer insight into how individual actions can spark collective action that change the community. And uh, give you some hope that we can tackle big existential threats if we work together. So without further ado, Josh Arthur and Brian Preston. Josh, Brian, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks, Kelsey. Hi. So when was the first time that you heard of the Wales Project? Hey, Brian, can I 
say something and then kick it to you? Sure. Okay. It was late in July. It was the first time I heard of it was in July and it was late one night and I was kind of dozing off. Um, everybody else had gone to bed and I get a text from Brian that says, have you seen this? Something doesn't seem right. And it was an article from the star press. Um, and that's the first time that I heard of it. Um, and then after, like right after that, it was sort of like a whirlwind started with research and conversations and letters and things, but the, okay, Brian, you talk. Um, I guess I just read about it like everybody else in the star press in, uh, I think there's a couple articles in June or so that, um, you can sort of look those up or whatever pretty easily, but they talked about the vote, I think, to the introduction of the tax subsidy package at the city council. And there were people who showed up to ask questions to the WSP Wales representative folks who were there and to ask uh, the city council nature uh, of the tax package and stuff. And so only because Seth Slaybaugh from the Star Press wrote an article about um, some of these folks showing up, who, longtime activists who have been fighting. These are the same people who have been fighting and spreading the word about the Exide plant locally and the lead emissions and the dangers and stuff of all that. Um, they showed up to ask some questions. Seth Slaybaugh wrote about it. I... I read it. I read the article. It didn't. It didn't feel conclusive. It didn't feel like any of their questions were addressed, which is true. If you look at a transcript of the meeting, they never, or the minutes or whatever, none of the environmental questions were really sufficiently talked about. I'm looking um, at the. I'll, I'm gonna interject a little bit. I was looking at the Star Press website right now, and like they have the breakdown of all this, all their coverage. Yeah. The first the first story was January 9th. Um, new facility on Borg Warner property could mean 90 jobs. The next story was June 22nd, and it was steel dust recycling facility concerns raised. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's when like it was basically almost a done deal already. And in that June meeting, the concerns was brought up, and I love I love this quote. Um, we need to have a con conversation as a community to see if this is something our community wants. Said. Deborah Mallets, a violinist. Yeah. Uh, do we want companies like this coming in here with dirty jobs? What do we see for the future of our community on the type of jobs we want here? We're at a kind of crossroads. So there's this air, this time of silence. And I love that, um, you know, Deb, uh, a violinist, you know, came to this meeting and spoke out that led to the writing of the story that led to you guys reading it and uh, just... Yeah. Go ahead, Brian. Sorry. To yeah. Well, Deb, Deb deserves a lot of credit. She and her crew, several of her colleagues have been paying attention uh, doggedly, just doggedly for years on this kind of thing. Um, and not that many other people in, in town are really doing that. Um, certainly not me. Certainly not um, a lot of people that we know. Um, 
But you're right, Kelsey, that question that she asked in public, which then got printed by Seth Slayball, that that is what that was a, a that sparked um, a bunch of folks starting their own independent looking into research. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's an interesting Genesis point. Yeah, and there's several other people at the meeting uh, involved with the The Rick Fines, uh, I think, was there. He's like, there's the, virtually no citizen input on this. Um, and they were, you know, at a public meeting asking questions that no one else was asking. Um, so, Brian, you read that article, and then... Um, and, and then... What, what did you... Um, well, I, I've been friends with this guy who's interesting interesting story himself you should you should think about interviewing him he he went to iu bloomington then he went to law school in the northeast and he uh was a kind of a public interest lawyer specializing in air quality and he worked for a nonprofit in pittsburgh uh, on these cases on these sort of public cases having to do with fracking and other kinds of air quality um issues and he worked for years at this and just got tired out and he left the field he left his his job and now he's a metal worker he decided just to get into metal working but um really smart dude so i just sent him casually sent him that article that we were talking about and i was like so is this you know this so-called steel dust recycling is this uh is this something we want in our town do you know about this kind of thing and he wrote back and said oh wow well you should uh you don't want this kind of thing and where is it oh it's right on the edge of town oh you don't yeah i don't think you really want this kind of thing you should probably push for tighter controls um but he's like i can't i don't have time to to do a review or anything, you should you should talk to this guy, Alex. Alex Sagaty, who lives in Michigan. I used to collaborate with him, work with him. Um, you should you should see if you know you could you could gather up some money or something and do a quick little review. Uh, get get him, pay him to do a preliminary review of some kind of the air permit. Because the permit was linked to in that article that slept Seth um wrote and as far as i know there's no other way to access that permit review nobody would have who hasn't been looking at these things for years would know to go to the indiana department of environmental management website and kind of like track this document down that's 200 oh my gosh and it's so and pages it's, yeah right it's so long and and so difficult to read uh, if pages? Have, and if you don't have any training I mean, even with training, I think it's it's very jargon specific. Wow. So I didn't, I just thought, um, well, what I can do is just send Alex this email with the, with the link to it. And I don't know this guy. I don't know anything about him. I don't even know how to, in, in fact, to this day, I don't even really know how to pronounce his last name. I assume it's Saggedy, but let's just, we can just call him Alex. Um, <laughs> And he writes back, you know, I send him this email and maybe in the evening or, and he, uh, then I get this phone call 10 o'clock at night 
and he said, this is Alex. And uh, he said, I think there's some points of interest in this air permit application um, and kind of launches into these uh, kind of what he was thinking about it. And, I, and he kind of gives me some pointers and tips about mm, things I could think of as far as organizing the community or whatever. And I think, oh, that sounds really big and rough and that I'll have to, I'll have to collaborate with some people here to figure out how to do some of these things. But it seems like a really big, big lift. And I think, okay, well, that was, that was an interesting conversation. And he's retired. He tells me he's retired. He's not going to be doing any, any more uh, advocacy or uh, he's not going to be doing a lot of advocacy. He won't, he won't take any money. He's not going to have a contract or anything like that. So I think, okay. So then I guess six hours later or five hours later at four in the morning, he sends along what's essentially a preliminary review of typed out um, review of this air permit application with some shocking details in it. Shocking to the normal ear, I guess. Um, so he, he stayed up all night. Wow. To do this. And I think he read every page and I, I think he saw that this was a danger. He saw that we had a chance to challenge this. And um, this was in, this was already in July, by the way, this was two yeah. weeks after two or three weeks after this um, um, article came out. So the city council had already had their second vote on the project or the, the incentive tax incentive package. So that's, that was already said and done. That was the moment that July 2nd vote or so. Um, that was the moment that they could say it's a done deal. From that moment forward, they were saying it's a done deal. The city council members, all the city officials, so he, he gave you the review after it was already a done deal. And um, it, and, that's right. And the done deal was, I forget how many, 10, was it $90 million, $60 million of incentives? Uh, um, 20. Oh, okay. Well, I think it was 15 or 16 um, local, Plus five from the local state TIF of monies. And then yeah. the, the state provided, okay. was going to provide some support also to the project. So anyway, to continue the the uh, Alex's review, I sent that along. He sent that to journalists. He sent that to lawyers um, himself. And then I sent it around to people like uh, what I'd known here forever who would be interested, including Josh, a lot of other people. Um, and it caught fire. His his headline. I want to, I want to read you the headline. Let's see. Alex wrote, um, I think it's, 
the largest industrial air emission source of mercury, mercury compounds in the USA planned for Great Lakes region at Muncie, Indiana. Wow. So that's the headline he was sending to lawyers and activists. Uh, wow. So do you remember some of the, his, his, uh, his scariest highlights in terms of um, what this factory would mean in terms of uh, our environment and health? I mean, the, the biggest impact is that according to their um, air quality um, or their, their IDEM application, um, they were asking to release the most mercury, airborne mercury, in the U.S., um, yeah. even more so than what the, re the, the actual reporting of another plant that they have in, in Alabama, uh, Millport, Alabama. This one asked to do even more than that. Mm. And I think you can't understate um, the impact that that had. I mean, all those of us who are like 40 and older, um, there's a chance that in middle school, our, you know, sadly, our, our science teacher may have let us hold mercury in our hand, right? And do you remember that? Yeah, totally. We, yeah, we totally we played with that. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so we've, all of us with, with children, uh, have our have children of a certain age, um, we sort of grew up transitioning from understanding um, mercury is this really cool element um, that you can make roll around in balls and to uh, something that affects brains and, and nervous systems, um, a, a toxic um, metal um, in, in systems. Um, and so that, I mean, I, not just to get, I mean, it's, that's the, that is the, fa the fact of it, the science of it. Um, but, but that also is something that resonates with people. Um, oh my gosh, Muncie, Ball Hospital, Ball State University, um, 120,000 people, 115,000 people, 20,000 people in the county. Um, all the major, I mean, all of them up downwind from this. Yeah. Just west uh, of town and within three miles, uh, there was 50,000 yeah. people nearly. That's yeah. uh, all of Ball State, which is a major university, many schools, basically the entire city of Muncie. Yeah. Uh, crazy. I mean, can you imagine if parents, um, around the country or world that send their kids to Ball State all of a sudden found out that Muncie is going to have the most airborne lead of any place in the U.S. Nuts. Airborne, airborne mercury. I'm sorry, what I said. Possibly. <clears throat> well, the lead. I meant. I'm would sorry. Be very I'm high as well. But let me give that. Let me give that to you again. As a sound bite. <laughs> can you can you imagine <laughs> parents from around the country? That out. Stop trying. Um, that's fine. So, but mercury, lead, particulates, like those were the, 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 yeah, doubled the plus of like all of these other, all of these other compounds and chemicals that, um, 
are not even mentioned, are not even required to mention, um, which are extremely volatile and dangerous. And the, they're not required to mention in the permit. But yeah, that happens in this process. And so the, the process of, I mean, why are you guys against recycling? Why? Right. Uh, I mean, the whole process was that they were bringing in steel from, almost, and who knows exactly what is in this steel. Uh, and then Correct. they, and then they essentially burn it and some of that is released into the atmosphere. Is that like a very rough understanding? Well, technically, I mean, technically, if you know the age and where it came from, this dust, because it's, it's a byproduct, um, you would know what's in it. Um, but I mean, if it, if it came from Pittsburgh in 1880, you know, it's different than if it came from um, Ohio in, in 1970. Um, but you would, you still know what's in it uh, from those, those times. Um, the, the dust. So the, so the, you're pretty close, Kelsey. I think, I think maybe I would characterize the process as um, it's a, the dust is a byproduct of steel making of, of scrapping and steel uh, production. And so there's this excess, it's called EAF dust, electric arc furnace dust that's this huge byproduct. They don't know what to do with it. And a lot of it just ends up in landfills. And so the zinc oxide industry figured out that you can cook this stuff and extract zinc from it. And that's, that's the process. So it's put in these giant ovens that rotate the, the whales kilns and it rotates and cooks this dust at whatever it is, 900 or a thousand degrees or whatever. And um, obviously that's going to create all kinds of air emissions when you do that. And this is, this EAF dust is the EPA lists it as a um, hazardous waste. So it's cooking hazardous waste that's known to have lead mercury and all these dioxins all this other stuff in there and that's that's the process <laughs> so at, at first it's packaged as hey it's recycling uh you have a a, a town uh like ours Montana, that is kind of in a post-industrial phase where all the factories it's actually the narrative of it moving into the largest site of one of our factories that's been closed for uh, a decade or, or so and so it seems like this reclaiming sure maybe new identity so you have that you have it's, that's you know, right the new like recycling it's 90 jobs and that first blink that's what is presented to our uh community but it doesn't take very much looking um to see that it's it's much there's negative consequences so let's go back to kind of the narrative of um uh, so you reach out to Sagity, he starts to send out this information, this concern about, uh, you know, the highest levels of mercury of any factory. Uh, you email people, I take it Josh was one of the people that you emailed. And then what, what happened next? Um, well, there's a run up to it and Josh can kind of fill in some of the gaps about what his kind of first response at those things from my email and my, my, uh, forwarding along some of this stuff to him and 
texting him, badgering him, I guess. Um, but Seth eventually, Seth Slaybaugh at the Star Press wrote a, wrote a pretty detailed article that was based in large part on Alex's review. But there, that, was, that only was released another, I think that was July 19th that came out. Um, so that was, there's still a couple weeks of activity in between there, I think nine days or so. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, that information that I got from Brian, I kind of packaged it, rearranged it a little bit and sent it to, you know, if you take a look at Muncie and Delaware County and think about, um, who the, the business leaders are, the political officials, um, a lot, you know, a lot of the folks that um, are kind of in positions around here. I, I wrote them a, a personal letter um, to them specifically from me. Um, I wrote, there might've been some content that was the same in the, in the letters. I know there was, but I specifically thought about each person and, and wrote them a letter um, and I gave them this information and I asked them, would you do your own research? And if you are convinced that this really is what, you know, what it is, what it appears to be, um, would you come out publicly against this? Um, and so in those nine days, I think, was it, did you say nine, Brian? Uh, something like that, yeah. 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 Um, it was just a, a fury of of sending off um, these notes uh, with that. How many do you think you sent? I'm sorry, I don't know. I did. I really. It, I remember that it was. It's a little bit hazy. Yeah. Um, that whole time is because it seemed like would sleep and eat and communicate until I was too tired and then sleep and eat and communicate sort of night and day kind of mixed um, for maybe five weeks, six weeks. Um, I know it was that way for a lot of people. Plus the added stress of thinking, Oh my gosh. Um, I remember people telling me that they were, they put um, the Zillow app on their phone and were, you know, starting to, to use it. And um, so just a lot of communication and, you know, and some people, I really laid it at them, like, this is your home. Um, this, you know, some people wrote back and said they didn't want to be uh, political. Mm. And, you know, and I, my classic response to that is, you know, it's political whose streets get paved or not. It's political which neighborhood you live in. Um, it's political. All the, you know, it's about the power of the city or the power of the community and who has it and, and what, where the attention is drawn. That's what, polit you know, politics is. is um, and so... It's political to keep saying, I don't want to be political. Correct. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so to not take, you know, not convincing people that they, some people, that they needed to actually take responsibility. Um, and there were, there were some major major flips that took place. Um, but not until after that first August meeting at city hall, um, which, which was yep. like 
was like a carnival. So how did that, how did that come together? That's kind of when it was first on, uh, I saw the, I think I saw the newspaper story and then I came to city hall. Uh, how did the city hall and kind of describe what that was? Um, how can, I, can I, uh, can I start that? And then um, Josh can, can continue the, so after July 19th, that's when the Star Press article came out. Josh had been doing this um, work before then, contacting, um, getting the word out, contacting leaders and getting the word out to people who aren't leaders. And, and that just, that, that started to grow very quickly. Um, and then more and more people finding out about all this and then July 19th was Seth Slayball's article and that was kind of a, a big uh, kind of just citywide, countywide um, uh, article, just getting, getting the word out uh, quite a bit. So that's, that's really when a lot of that caught fire and more and people, more and more people were getting informed. And you know, uh, Brian, but I, I, I followed up with, everybody w with that article yeah and and then when it was in the paper um it was people were more inclined to investigate it themselves okay mm -hmm. go ahead sorry even though it was essentially the same information Correct. it was yeah um oh all i was getting to was that at that that period before the August city council meeting. Um, so most of July, the people of Muncie and Yorktown were opposed to this project or, or learning and getting to be opposed to this project. Meanwhile, just about every city official, every elected official at least, many more non-elected officials and workers um, for the city, for Yorktown county level, they were all in favor of the project or not willing to say a thing about it. So there's this intense divide. It's nonpartisan, not, not having to do with which, which is your favorite party to vote for or whatever. The, the populace was just lining up against this and every single decision maker was in favor of it. So that's, that creates a, uh, I don't know, it tells you something about the state of democracy, I guess. Well, to some extent, they had already given their uh, blessing and approval and literally And they already knew about it, the city leaders, and they said, it's a done deal, it's a done deal, and we've already looked into this, and, and I've heard it 20 times from, from people. I would never make a decision that would negatively affect my family or your family or the people of Muncie. I, I would never do that. They would, they would get righteous about <laughs> what good leaders they are and they could never, you know, think of doing something potentially harmful. Um, so then is it a, um, I know there was a, a Facebook event made, um, did you have a sense before that event was made that there was going to be a, a big turnout? No, no, I, we didn't. 
um, I don't know that there was any sense what would happen or any, any inclination as to what would happen. I was talking with a friend of mine um, at, he, I was talking with a friend of mine in Chicago and he works, he actually does, you know, this, this company and this, these partner companies um, that were involved are still involved with Wales Heritage Environmental. Um, they build themselves as green and recycling and environmentally friendly. Um, it's the sort of situation where it's the exact opposite. Um, these pro these pro processes are violently destructive. Um, I remember talking with a guy from Muncie who grew up in uh, a town in Ohio that this that these folks had previously worked in. And when he was growing up in elementary school, they would have to have um, periodic lead, blood lead tests. Uh, and the, they would go through these drills where in case there was a, a fire or some, some catastrophe at this facility, then they would, they were, the teachers were instructed to stuff the windows or the cracks in the windows and, and put wet towels over the windows. Um, like that was that's, just part and parcel of their, their, they're growing up. Um, these are the same people that wanted that want to do that wanted to do this in Muncie, Delaware County. Same people that want to do it in Logansport, Cass County. Um, but I was talking with a friend of mine who actually does work in uh, environmental um, or uh, new energy, non-fossil fuel energy, and he just he just casually said, "But." I bet a thousand people at city hall would knock this down, wouldn't it? Yeah. And it was like the clouds parted and uh, the birds started singing. And I thought that's exactly what we're going to do. And so we created a Facebook event inviting a thousand people. And um, Brian was accurate. It, there were people there that are, that are not involved in politics there were Republicans and Democrats and then other um, parties. Um, there were people of different ethnicities. Um, we created this sort of code of conduct and printed it in mass and passed it all out. I think it had maybe 10 points on it or something about, oh, being quiet and, and courteous, um, non-confrontational, uh, just use your body in the space, um, bring lawn chairs, uh, bring candy to pass out and share, um, answer questions if somebody asks you, um, because at that, that was created right before the fact, because I was getting a sense that it, it was, uh, going to be tense. Um, and I will say that we, there were 800 people outside who signed the petition. And then um, somehow the petition got sidelined after about 809 people. And so if there, there was lots of changeover in the evening and there weren't any more signatures, and then City Hall maybe holds like two, 
what does it hold? Two thirty? Yeah, I think the room two thirty five. Room limit is two twenty five. Twenty five. Okay. They, there was overflow. There was so it was full, and people were standing, and then they were also standing in the hallways, and so, and there was changeover too. Um, as soon as someone would leave, someone else would take this, their seat. And so we know that there actually ended up being over a thousand people and they had setting, setting the record straight here. Correct. Definitely That's over a thousand people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah so, I, sh I showed up, I showed up early. I was with my son Griffin who was seven at the time. Mm -hmm. He, you know, he uh, can be loud and speak out uh, whatever he wants to talk about. Usually yeah. the toilets or calendars or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so we got there early and there was a there was a line i don't know maybe 100 people in front of us and we were getting the handouts and uh griffin was great and patient we made it in and we had a seat in city hall and so i had no sense of what was happening outside okay. but we were in there and i knew there was a lot of people there for uh you know to, to kind of protest this and ask questions and um the city hall like i don't know it, the air condition there was like no it was so hot in there i don't know if it's always like that or someone's like these we're gonna turn off the air conditioning we're gonna make people sweat i don't know i'm inclined to the second one kelsey Smoke yeah them out. yeah it was and it was and and i thought i was appalled that you had i knew there was gonna be a lot of people that showed up but i had no idea what was going on outside but it was never even addressed up front that a thousand people showed up at this meeting and yeah. it, it almost joked about, you know, they give like a citizen award every meeting. And uh, one of the city council members was like, Oh, you must be pretty popular. There's a lot of people here uh, for you. And the kind of the joke, joke, joke. And then they just went about their normal business. And I was there probably for 45 minutes an hour, which was a miracle that Griffin and I lasted that long and and yet to be addressed that there was anything happening and so griffin Not and one I left. yeah so griffin and i left and in the hallway there was people immediately came in and filled our seats we went out and i saw i mean it was just people everywhere outside city hall and i it was hard for us to get to the car because uh, it was time for him to, to, to go and, mm -hmm. and i kept bumping into people who I did not know ever to be uh, an activist or politically engaged in any manner. So this was a wide swath of the population of Muncie, of Yorktown, of Delaware County that was there. And it was just amazing. And it was also appalling in many ways in, in the sense of that meeting that was never even addressed. Uh, and I think till, till, till maybe the, the very end. But uh, sorry, I was just going to add that. So continue, um, Josh. So a, a thousand, a thousand freaking people That's show right. up at the meeting. Yeah, um, Kelsey, did you know that they weren't even going to address it? And at about an hour in, as the temperature in the room rose, um, and people started sweating, and that one word hadn't been mentioned, and they were talking about all of these. Uh, minute details of something that wasn't in the riverfront project. And yeah. Um, uh, I sort of could, you know, I sort of saw the play and 
the the ten, the the failure of leadership was amazing, absolutely amazing. Now, there what if you watch the video, you will see that that there was sort of, there was an explosion. Not, I mean, there was a an overpouring of angst or anger or emotion. But you know what? Um, the folks that started that. Um, they were actually a part of the 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 movement that we were were starting, um, but I think the tension bore down, and the the total disrespect for a thousand people um, looking at you, wanting you to to provide leadership, and you completely ignore it. Um, the the weight was too much, and some people just went off. Um, and the, the room went up, um, like in a movie and the, the, the president of the council, uh, ran off. Um, he actually ran, he actually ran out. Um, uh, and so this was going, this was before I was going to even get to speak. Yeah. And so we're talking, I, this is probably like three hours into the meeting, right? Cause I, I, and maybe even more. Home. I can't I was, remember. I was giving Griffin a bath watching all of this on Facebook Live. And then, you know, I saw it started to get the tensions rise, which how could they not? I mean, address this up front, you know. Oh, yeah. we have a thousand concerned citizens here today. Let's let's see what they have to say. Or um yeah. and then uh and then I saw the meeting just end. The you know, the president walked out, uh it ended, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what the hell just happened like what must that room be like now so i i i quickly approached um the bench or the die and said you you are the boss here <laughs> get this under control let let us speak uh show some leadership you can't cancel look at all these people that are here um and and to her credit um Nora, who was the vice president of the council, um, she uh, saw, you know, saw what was happening. Um, we made eye contact, spoke a few words, um, and, and she wrangled uh, the meeting back into place, um, even without, you know, even after the president ran out. And um, then we were, were able to speak and get some of these things. And she was... Um, not only politically and leadership wise concerned, but also she was personally concerned for her own home, her own family, and also what decision had she made um, without, the, without the pertinent information. And so that meeting um, went on forever and ever. And even when I walked out at, I can't even remember what time, it was late. Um, there were still midnight people. or midnight or twelve thirty. Yeah, something like that. There were still people in the parking lot, and um, myself and some police officers were the last to leave, and uh, and they started clapping because they had all wow. been watching it on on their phones. Wow! The police officers were clapping. I'm sorry, I walked out. I was just saying that some police officers and myself. We're the last to walk out of the building. Yeah. 
and the people that oh, were that still were stationed in oh, the parking lot started clapping. That. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, I mean, that is like something out of the movie. That, I mean, it had to be the biggest movement of people in, I, 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 I've only been in Muncie for, I don't know, uh, 12, 13 years. So definitely in 13 years, but yeah. you know, who knows how no, far yeah. back. And I think we think that the, it's possible the only other time that something like that has happened was when there was a union riot mm. um, and strike. Um, and then uh, you mean in 1908 or so? Yeah. Some, yeah. <laughs> um, some high, some hired thugs uh, worked up the, the strike line mm. on purpose to, to try to get a, a fight and, and it happened. But yeah. And so Josh, are you saying that you're a hired thug? I mean, <laughs> uh, so, but like honestly like, no um, i was contrasting that with how peaceful um yeah our, our folks were yeah but yeah I, I think it's fascinating that it's such a interesting how uh, you know you started this event and um you know who you are and what you do um you know you're you're pretty soft-spoken in in in, in some ways um I know that you're very active in the community, uh, but it's not like you're leading environmental movements. Uh, no. It's just something that you got, you were concerned about and spoke up and got involved yeah. with. You know, um, conservation and, and natural lands and uh, think parks and things like that are have always been important to me. Um, but here was just the most obvious blatant uh, example of something that is going to to kill a community um, not only the people but the soil the water the air um, you know the the white river it's commonly said is the cleanest it's been in a hundred years and here i mean Y yards away, um, yards away from the, the sanitary, uh, the Muncie Sanitary District treatment. Um, yards yeah, away thousand, from the river. Something like a thousand feet away, yeah. one or two thousand feet. And this thing is just going to be pumping it, pumping uh, particulates and heavy metals uh, right into the water. And that's going to go into Yorktown and Anderson and Indianapolis. Um, you know, it's interesting in Cass County, similar situation, only it's the Wabash River. Um, where they want to locate uh, is, is near uh, Tyson Food, uh, Tyson Foods um, uh, poultry plant. And Tyson Foods uh, bills itself as the largest food company in America. Um, it's next to a grain elevator, um, which, you know, grains get produced into, you know, oils, um, they get produced into fuel, get produced into um, animal feed. Um, and I mean, it, the situation uh, and the location is extremely uh, uh, similar. Um, one of the things that that government officials, whether it be local or state, that they 
get a little dazzled by is that um, this is the company that um, made uh, and you know engineered, made, and installed the the racetrack for the Indy 500. Um, the racetrack that the 500 has right now is the most durable, requires the least maintenance, doesn't crack um, that that they've ever had actually. And and you, you know, uh, an eight billion dollar company invites people down to um, what is really quite a beautiful and amazing um, uh, PR facility, um, their, their front office. And you learn, oh, the, the Indy 500 um, uses this company for sort of the space age uh, racetrack. Um, and, and they tell you that, um, you know, everyone that you meet with says, oh, I'd live right next door. Um, to a, a Wales facility, no problem. Raise my kids there, and um, folks from the lab come out and you know put in their flannels and and goggles, um, situated neatly on top of their heads, and uh, just give you the warmest welcome. Um, and they, you know, it's real. It's really dazzling, and. You know, they work very hard on that sort of thing uh, because the pollution is a killer. So that is episode one. Episode two is up now. We discuss what happened after the city council meeting and talk about the organization and actions that led to the factory pulling out. Thanks for listening to the Good People Podcast. Special thanks to my friend Jay Mormon for co-hosting and to Cliff Ritchie for the great tunes. You can listen to Cliff on Spotify or find him at cliffritcheyart.com. Let's keep the good going. Please share, rate, and subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. Visit kelseytimmerman.com slash goodpeople to find show notes, suggest guests, learn more about my books, and tell us about the good you are doing in the world.